0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, Brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, today's text is really just a fabulous text by Paul written to the church in Corinth. It's his second letter that we have uh, in our possession. We actually believe there was probably a third Corinthians that was not um, retained, kept, and preserved. Um, The Holy Spirit decided we didn't need it, so it is not something that we have. But today's text, uh, I feel it. I, I feel it here. It's this um, it's it's him talking about this incredible experience that he had. And Paul is talking about this incredible experience in a way that's kind of boasting because he's trying to give his bona fides, if you will, trying to be like, listen, I, I had this incredible experience. So he talks about it in sort of a third person. So when you hear the phrase, I know a man who, he's talking about himself. He's just trying not to... I don't try not to elevate himself too much. So there is this real struggle, and and I'll talk about that a little bit in in the message, but the theme for the the sermon today, we're talking about, you know, this what he says about faith and then specifically weaknesses, the faith that we have in and amongst our own weaknesses. So this is from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, um, beginning with verse 1. I must go on boasting... On behalf behalf of this man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weaknesses. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Brothers and sisters in Christ, what does he say about faith when it comes to our weaknesses? It's an interesting text because we don't really know what this thorn in the flesh is. Um, For Paul, there's some... Evidence that it was physical, right? He talks about a thorn in the flesh. So some physical ailment that he had. There's, there's been thoughts that maybe he couldn't see really well um, as as a a result of his incredible conversion experience, where he couldn't see. He was blind, and I I kind of set that one aside. I don't like that theory because God gave him his sight back, and in a miraculous way. And I don't. I don't think that God, if he gives sight back, would do so in a way that is anything other than perfect, right? He, he did a miracle, not part way, but all the way. So I, I kind of set that one aside, but there's the evidence of when he's writing, he writes in really big letters. Um, at the end of a couple of his letters, instead of the scribe writing, he writes in really big letters, maybe. Uh, I, I think there's maybe some sort of um, it, muscular degeneration or something, maybe MS, or, or I'm not entirely sure, but in, in a way that his fine motor skills aren't good, and that's why he writes so largely. Um, there's been all kinds of different theories on it, but it doesn't matter. His, his point is to say something interesting about faith and weaknesses, And it's in this context of the the church of Corinth had kind of gone astray on a couple of things. And they had kind of started listening to other preachers who were saying something not correct about Jesus and the gospel. And and the the church had kind of drifted from the truth, the truth that we proclaim here, that that Christ, God's only son, died for our sins, raised from the dead. Belief in that means eternal life for us. They'd strayed from that a little bit. And so he's saying, don't listen to them, listen to me. And why should you listen to me? Well, listen, I had these, these very powerful experiences, these revelations directly from God. Don't stray from that. So he's, he's trying to give his bona fides and, and give the reason why you should listen to him while at the same time not being arrogant and boasting. And you can hear that tension where he's like, I'm not going to boast, but I'm going to talk about this other guy who had this. So he's trying to distance himself from that. And I'm going to do that right now. <laughs> <laughs> because one of the most, um, most often given compliments to, to me and to Dan uh, and to others is when we talk about our own sinful weaknesses. We do this really well. You see how that doesn't work, like I'm bragging about the thing we do well? <sighs> this, is, this is Paul's tension, but, but it's modeled really after this text and this concept of letting you know we're, we're just people like you. We're pastors like you, are. We, we're, we're just sinners like you who happen to be called into this office, um, but we're not special in, in some sort of the, the Holy Spirit laid his hand on us, and now we are perfect or super Christians or something. That, that's not who we are, and that, that tension that we have is a, is a difficult one because I, I want to make sure you understand it's absolutely true— <laughs> and and don't don't for a second doubt what we say about ourselves that we're flawed, we're broken and we make as many mistakes, we sin just as much as all of you do. And on the other hand, I also want to say model yourselves after what we're trying to do as well, which is in the midst of that honesty, let God be glorified. Let God be glorified in the weaknesses and the failures that we have. So that's what the text is about this morning. And and specifically we're gonna begin with this idea of weakness. What is your greatest weakness? I want you to think about that for a second. It's a phrase we use all the time. Oh, chocolate is my greatest weakness, or cake is my greatest weakness, or chocolate cake maybe is your greatest weakness. For me, it's chips. Man, I can just sit on the couch and it's, it's almost not even like the chips or anything, it's, it's the couch from about seven till 9 p.m. That's my greatest weakness, right? To just sit there, and, but that's not what the text is talking. The text isn't talking about what's your greatest weakness in terms of what do you snack on, what do you eat that you shouldn't eat or drink that you shouldn't drink, or that's not what the text means because Paul's talking about something about him that is, that is hardwired in the flesh, in the hardware of himself, right? The, the person of Paul, not, not the mindset of Paul. And uh, I've boasted about this weakness of mine a lot. Dan, inadvertently, without knowing it, almost made reference to it <laughs> this morning in his confession. Working out isn't my weakness. Anxiety is my weakness. And that's something just hardwired into my brain. It's intergenerational. It's in the family. Working out is one of the things that I do to manage that. It's really good for you, by the way. If you struggle with generalized anxiety, OCD, or anything like that, get up in the morning and lift weights. It is it is great to, to help manage those things. So it's it's really more Symptomatic <laughs> that I do what I do as, as far as exercise and working out, and I don't mind saying that you know there's there's no reason I, I know people would be uh, maybe resistant, reticent to to say something like that. I, I struggle with mental health. I don't think we should not stand up and say that it's It's everywhere in our culture and society in this country today. but see me doing that and standing up and saying it is a way to to let God be glorified in my weakness. Because that that same anxiety and mental health and and all of those things, and I stand up and say that, it can give confidence to people, encouragement to people. And I don't know what it is that is your greatest weakness, but that's what I want you to be thinking about. What's your greatest weakness in, in sort of that genre? Is it, is it a weakness that comes with anger? I'm just so quick to anger. Or my weakness that, that comes from you know, my, my childhood and upbringing, and the way that I see the world, my children, my parents, my, my friends and my family. Is, it, is my greatest weakness the way in which I, I treat other people because of the way I've been treated? Is it my lack of trust Is it my lack of faith or hope? That's how I want you to be thinking about your greatest weakness. Because Paul, Paul's greatest weakness, whatever it was in the flesh, he felt it was so detrimental to himself that he returned twice to the Lord to pray about it. This is Paul, the guy who would pray over somebody and they would stand and they would walk uh, having never been able to walk. Or the blind, he would pray and then they would see. This is Paul who has witnessed all of these miracles and he prays and the Lord says no. And he goes, "Mm, can we talk about it? (laughs) Can Can we go back, revisit this? We'll circle back later. And he does and the Lord says no. And he goes back again. This is how much it troubled Paul. Those things that trouble us so much in our brokenness, our our inability to have healthy relationships with other people because of our sin and and our actions, what we bring to the table, what they bring to the table, that's the the kind of troublesome um, sin and weakness that Paul is dealing with. This is getting in the way. This is affecting his daily life so much so that he thinks even if the Lord would take it away, he could serve better, um, do better in his, his ministry as a missionary, sharing the gospel of Christ. He wants it gone, not even for his own sake, but for the sake of the gospel. You can't have a more pure motive than that. And God still says no. God still says no because Paul is missing something important from his experience with this thorn in the flesh. So we're going to talk about that, the thorn in the flesh. Now, um, gentlemen, lock eyes with me right now. Gentlemen, look, do not look at your spouse. Who is your thorn in the flesh? Yeah, good job. Don't move. Don't move. <laughs> even an accidental, casual glance towards your spouse could be catastrophic. Right? The thorn in your flesh. Um, it it does not necessarily mean somebody who is very close to you, and it doesn't even necessarily mean it's a person. But that's what we think of. A person is a thorn in my flesh. That person is the one. And Paul isn't speaking about a person. He's speaking about something that causes him either physical, mental, emotional pain, spiritual distraction, whatever it is. What is that thorn in your flesh? And what God says is, no, because my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That weakness that Paul has, that thorn in the flesh, And whatever your thorn in the flesh is, whatever that, if it is a person or whatever sin, habit, whatever it is, he hasn't removed it. If you have indeed been praying for it, he hasn't removed it for the purpose of his glory. This is an important thing to remember. It's not to punish you. God doesn't punish those he loves. He may discipline, he may correct those he loves, but he is not a God of punishment. This isn't how it works anymore. Paul says in Romans, there is no condemnation, there's no punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you say, but it feels like I'm being punished because I've prayed over and over and over again that this sin would be removed, that's, that is a reasonable thought. That, that is logical, it's, it's linear, it makes sense, but it isn't true. You see, he doesn't punish anymore because all of the punishment for sin has already been meted out. It's it's already been enacted. The punishment, the sentence for our sin is death. And that sentence was proclaimed on Jesus and not us. So you see, now he's not punishing. Now he's either disciplining, but I want today for a second, when it comes to your faith, I want you to think about maybe this is remaining, not even necessarily to discipline you as much as it is to bring glory to him. So this is, this is the tough part. If that thorn in your flesh is indeed a person, that person is a thorn in your flesh for the glory of God. You see, he hasn't taken it away, not not so that you feel miserable, but rather so that he would be glorified. So that people, through your suffering, might see Jesus and might know the Son of God. How in the heck does that work? How can my suffering show somebody else Jesus? Well, I don't know how it was for Paul. But I can tell you, for, for me, all of my weaknesses, and my sins, and my failures come out in my preaching. Right? My anxiety, when I talk about it and the ways in which I manage it, that's a blessing to other people. Would I love for God to just reach down by the power of the Holy Spirit and pluck all of that stuff out of my brain and remove it? That would be cool. And the, the only reason I can think he hasn't done it is so that I might proclaim to somebody else I have this also. And it isn't that God has removed it from me in my life today, but rather I know the resurrection is coming. I got such a cool chance yesterday. I was uh, a sectional speaker at the youth gathering um, for Iowa. And as you know, I, I have the soapbox of the resurrection. I preach the resurrection every single Sunday. And so I was telling the kids that. Um, that's what I do on mission trips as well. And as, as I was talking, I said, does anybody have um, something, some condition, disease, whatever that they were born with? And there's this, this young lady in the back and she raised her hand and I looked at her and I could tell immediately and she also responded, I have autism. And I, and I was able to look right at her and say, at the resurrection, you won't and just tears right she she had this first realization and recognition of her faith in christ means at the resurrection all of those things that afflict us are gone and she never she's a faithful christian baptized in the church raised in the church and that had never dawned on her at the resurrection it's gone and, and that idea of it being removed then does give me comfort. But of course, again, in my weakness, and my sinfulness, I would love to have it gone right here, right now, today. But it remains for an important reason. Not only do I use it as, as a way to share the gospel, a way to talk about the resurrection and Jesus. Not only is, is, is that very useful to me to, to talk about those struggles that I have, it's also this really important reminder Every single day that I'm a sinner. Every single day. I I wake up with with this thought in my head of managing um, this this life of mine and all of these things, And, and I get overwhelmed, and all of that happens, and I remember this is a sinful world. I'm a sinful person. And that is important to keep in my mind. Because we need to have it in our head that there is one greatest weakness. The greatest weakness. The greatest weakness remains our sinful flesh. The greatest weakness is is most evident in the truth that we will one day die. Every single one of us. Nobody escapes that. Nobody, you know, death bats a thousand. Perfect record. Except for Jesus. You see, just like Jesus found that perfection in his suffering, found the the greatest glory in his suffering and even his death, God was glorified when he was raised from the dead. This is real power. This is real power because when we talk about weakness and we talk about the thorn in the flesh, what we're really talking about is something over which we have not been able to gain control. We have not been able to to exert power over it. So in a way, this is sort of like a power struggle. What is the most powerful thing that man can do? It is to kill. That's the most powerful thing a man can do is to kill someone else because that takes everything. If, if, if mankind can go to a person and, and take their home from them, they're still alive. If man can come and take from them their occupation, well, they're still alive. The one thing, if you take the life from that person, all of those other things also are gone. The most power man has is to take the life of another man. You know what power man does not have? The power to give Life the power to make alive so you see, this is how at the resurrection of Jesus, God is fully glorified and says to all of mankind, yes, to those who were most you know, immediately involved, those who were in Jerusalem at the time who exerted their power and control over the, the Sanhedrin, the council, even Pilate and the, the Romans who were there. They, they orchestrated all of these things in this huge power move. They took this Jesus rabbi whoever he is and said we must put a stop to you and and they did that right they kill him and say ha we are more powerful and then god says sure you can kill but i will make alive and jesus is raised from the dead the most powerful witness i think i can even imagine in in the stories that I have of the glory and power of God is watching somebody end stages of their life close their eyes for the last time with faith and hope that though they die, yet shall they live. And we see this all the time, right? People who who have serious difficulties in their life, who have lost loved ones, who have all of these challenges, who are suffering greatly, and yet they believe. And we look at that and we say, How powerful is your faith? Consider for a moment that that's what God is doing with you and with your thorn in the flesh. That God is doing this with you and this thing that he hasn't removed from you. That God is actually in you drawing attention to himself and to his son Jesus. That that through your weakness and your brokenness, this thing you can't kick, the thing you can't get past, the, the thing that is always stuck in your life that you feel ashamed and embarrassed about, That is the thing God is using right now, preparing you maybe to be a witness to somebody else, to say to somebody, I had that trouble in my life, and it hasn't gone away, but I have Christ and hope in the resurrection. And my marriage was that way too. And my family was like that. My childhood was like that. My, my job was like that, my whatever it might be was just like that. I, I have often felt that way, still feel that way. Whatever it is that, that you're struggling with, if you simply believe and have faith and trust at the resurrection that that is all completely resolved, that is the most powerful witness you can give to anyone. And so as, as we rejoice even in our sufferings and see that in our weaknesses, he is made strong, we don't spurn or scorn those weaknesses, but rather what we do is in those weaknesses trust that God's power is being shown. Amen. And may the peace which surpasses all human understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Uh, one last word before prayer and blessing in the Omega hour. Afterwards, um, I'm going to be talking some <laughs> about uh, the Israel-Palestine um, conflict that's going on. Most I'm going to be focusing it biblically, theologically between Islam, Judaism, Christianity. A little bit of history involved in there. So if you've got if you've always wondered about those things, hopefully I can talk about some of it. It's way. Here's, spoiler alert, I'm not going to give you a solution <laughs> or, the, or the answer, but just some context maybe. Uh, would you please stand to pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, today and for the true gift that you have given in your son, Christ Jesus who though weak on the cross, being crushed and killed for our sins, was raised up, glorified in power and strength to give to us the resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Receive the blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give to you his peace. Amen.